welcome to Careers in Discovery, where you'll meet scientists who've forged outstanding careers in biotech and hear about what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by Singular, building brilliant biotechs. Richard Weaver is a consultant to biotech companies on their drug development programs specializing in DMPK. Before becoming a consultant, Rich was the founder of Xenogesis, a CRO he successfully sold to Signature Discovery in 2020. Rich talked to us about his career as a scientist and entrepreneur, his formula for building a CRO, and the advantages of organic growth. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Richard Weaver. Rich, welcome to Careers in Discovery. Thanks very much, Tom. Delighted to be here. Great to see you. Um, now, Rich, we always start by talking a little bit about what you're up to right now. And, and you've recently embarked on a, a different phase in your career. Tell us a bit about what you're doing and tell us about Drug Discovery Solutions. Yeah, sure, Tom. Yeah, so so essentially, I'm, a, I'm an independent consultant at the moment, uh, but based on the years of experience that I've had in, in the various companies that are along that journey. So, you know, the space that um, I suppose is my expertise, which I've been doing for well over 20 years, is an area called DM. MPK or ADME, so it's drug metabolism, pharmacokinetics, uh, but also general drug discovery advice. And then something else which is which is related is the investment side as well. So I'm an investor in a fund. Uh, again, we can talk a little bit about uh, my experience there, but I really enjoy that side as well and, and seeing if, you know, a, a new biotech has something of value um, and look at the team and look at the future, think about the exit, et cetera. So I'm active there as well. Fantastic. This is perfect because you might be able to clear something up for me. I always get confused between PK and PD and which one is which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Actually. That's a great question. So, no, it's a great question. So the, P, the PK is all about what the body does to the drug. Right. Okay. Um, the PD is all about um, what the drug does to the body. Okay. So one is, one is an effect or toxic effect. Yeah. And one is how your body gets rid of a compound and absorbs it, which is the PK side. Both important, obviously. Now we've got this recorded. I can I can refer back to this because anytime anyone asks me, I go, I've, "It's PKPD. One of them is this. One of them is this. I can't remember which ones." Yeah, but they're both related to one another, obviously. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Fab. So you, you've decided to to set up and and do this for other people and and work with them on, I guess, not just the scientific parts but the business parts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because both bits interest me. We can come on to this, you know. I mean, if you if you cut me down in the middle, you know, um, you know, I was a scientist for years, and then I became a businessman. But I always remained a scientist, you know. And both bits are equally important to me. I get a buzz from both sides. Actually, there's there's, there's no denying that. And luckily, I'm, I can I can do both, you know. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, um, we'll, we'll talk about your career and and uh, the the formative parts of it so i'm sure we'll talk about xenogesis and your, and your journey with that um but you know you've of course been providing services to to biotech companies for a number of years uh, was there anything that sort of prompted um i guess you deciding to do it on your own this time around or do it as an independent consultant yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, I, again, we can talk about this energy story, but all the way through there, I remained active in consultancy under energy So, right. so although I was a CEO, etc., you know, I always did consulting for the company on that journey, and obviously, I did at AstraZeneca before that as well. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, there's lots of bits to the to the job that I enjoy, but I really do 
enjoy that. You know, it's essentially like being a detective. You've got tiny pieces of evidence, threads of evidence. You've got to build a coherent story and, and help people actually on that journey. And that's the yeah. bit that I, I get a real buzz from actually when you realize you can help somebody and help a project and help get drugs to the market. And that's what I wanted to focus on then without the, you know, the other side, if you will, of owning a company, you know, so uh, I'm, I've been lucky that I'm in this situation where I can just be a, a consultant and I can work from anywhere in the world. I just need a laptop, you know, and, and away I go, which is, which is, you know, which is nice. Yes. And in case there are any potential clients listening here for you, Rich, what areas of focus and the types of companies that you're thinking about helping? Yeah. I mean, it's biotech in general that I, you know, I, I like helping, you know, often they've got a fantastic idea, you know, they may be world experts in a particular disease area or target, um, but people need help with DMPK. I mean, it's a science where it's so complex, you know, there's so much to it and it takes so much to learn, actually, not belittling anything else, um, of course. But it takes years and years of experience to understand what to do with the data and what the data means, you know, and, and, and that's the bit that... Uh, that is kind of really enjoyable and applicable, really. At the end of the day, everybody just wants to know, can my compound be a drug? Right. Um, and I can help them tell if there's a possibility or actually they're, they're miles away, you know, they're miles away. And actually you need to do many more rounds of chemistry or, or whatever. You know? Yeah, makes sense, which, you know, can save people a lot of money, I would imagine. Absolutely, and time as well, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose a lot of, um, you know, you see a lot of biotech companies, of course, that maybe have a single asset or a couple of programs that they're working on. I guess, you know, that doesn't warrant necessarily bringing in-house the MPK expertise in, but that that's where people like you come in. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and again, you know, I mean, I've, again, we, we, we did this even as Energesis, you know, when you've got experts out there, you know, the best thing to do is, is, is just tap into them, actually, you know, and turn the tap on when you need them and turn the tap off when you when you don't need them. You know, it's it helps save money as well. But, you know, you're going to get experts to, to really help you drive forward. So, yes. And again, you know, some of the smaller companies, sometimes it's only two or three men or ladies in a, in a room, you know, it's a f- fully virtual company and, and they don't need the overhead of, of having a full-time member of DMK staff, for example. No, no, absolutely. Fab, well, I'm, I'm really interested in diving into your journey to this point, uh, Rich, because yeah, there's sure. been some really interesting uh, twists and turns that you've taken on your path, as most people have. Um, my understanding is that you started life as a chemist. Yeah, that's right. I did. So again, you know, I'll go back to when I was 10 years old, to be honest, and my, my parents bought me a chemistry set, you know, and uh, I loved it, you know, absolutely loved it, you know, and, uh, you know, usually, you you know, I guess this is where perhaps I realized I was an entrepreneur, you know, I used to follow the, I say recipes that, that were in the book, you know, but then I, more often than not, I'd, I'd make my own thing up and <laughs> try and make something louder, smellier, noisier, you know, more yeah, colored, whatever, yeah. you know, and, and, and I just love my chemistry set. And it was, it was chemistry for me, to be honest, all the way. I mean, maybe I was lucky, but, um, you know, right from an early age. So again, I'm, I'm of a vintage where I did O-level. So I did an O-level chemistry. It was absolutely clear I wanted to do A-level chemistry. And even through that, I wanted to do chemistry at university. And, and I did all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Leicester University and, you know, I, was, you know I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. You know, I was lucky. got first class and, you know, and yeah. top prizes in every year. I just, I just loved it, you know. And then, uh, and then I did a PhD in chemistry. Um, again, this was with the Wellcome Trust, so way back when, but it was a fantastic thing, actually. So again, I, I won that sort of scholarship to do that. I was sponsored. 
it was chemistry, but it was about cancer. So okay. uh, I did get involved in the biology side a little bit. Um, interestingly, you know, I've never even done a, 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 a biology level, you know, so right, right. I had no biology training at all, but there was a biological element to it. It was about DNA cross-linking. And I really enjoyed that, actually. Um, I then did two synthesis postdocs. Uh, so that was at the Welsh School of Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Again, medicinal area. So one was one was AIDS, uh, HIV at the time, which was which was quite obviously still quite a big thing in the yes. in the sort of early nineties, mid nineties, and then one was on a tropical disease, uh, leishmaniasis. You know, and again, so there's always that sort of medical side that I that I enjoyed. Um, I knew I wanted to go to industry. There was no question about that. Okay. Um, and then a job popped up actually. Uh, again, showing my age at Astra. Uh, in Loughborough, which was happened to be not very far away from where I grew up, actually. Right. Um, and they did something that I thought was really quite groundbreaking. Uh, historically, DMPK science was really people with a biology background or, or pharmacology, uh, to be honest. And nobody from chemistry sort of went to DMPK. But actually, DMPK is all about the structure of the molecule. Right. And, and once that structure is defined, that tells you exactly how the body is going to handle it, basically. Um, you know, absorb it, metabolize it, get rid of it, whatever. Um, so I went and completely changed subjects. So just, you know, and this is an important bit of my career, really. You know, I'd been a chemist all along, but then suddenly I was, I was sort of parachuted into a, a, a new discipline, right. which I know nothing about, you know, to be very clear, absolutely nothing about. And it was a, you know, it was a steep learning curve from that sort of late nineties onwards. Um, but there were, there were a few of us, four, four chemists in there as well. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was the most fantastic training grounds. It became AstraZeneca. It was the Charmwood site. It was just such a brilliant site, you know, in hindsight, we had such really strong science in all areas, actually, medicinal chemistry, uh, in vitro, in vivo, pharmacology, and DMPK. So, so I really enjoyed that part, you know. Yes. Um, and then what happened really, you, you'll, you'll know this as well, Tom, you know, it's sort of what was happening in pharma started to change in that mid-2000s. So R&D costs were going spiraling out of control, but the return on investment, new drugs to the market were dropping off like a cliff. Right. And, and just simply based on financial reasons, something had to change, mm-hmm. you know. And, and actually, you know, pharma sort of did this all together. They closed multiple sites down, you know. Yeah. Uh, before they did that, actually, they started to outsource to China and India. Uh, and I was actually tasked with the, actually, the very first project that was outsourced with AstraZeneca okay. um, to, to China, actually, as it happened in the end. So that was sort of mid-2000s. So I was evaluating Chinese CROs in the mid-2000s. They were all in the infancies then, you know, I mean, right. you know, completely like Wuxi, et cetera. You know, they were very, very small companies then. Yes. Not now, obviously. So I started to outsource to those guys, also to the UK, some CROs. And really, to be honest, it was then when I realized these guys were building capability, but they didn't really have any understanding of what to do with the data. Okay, So I guess that was the first time I thought, you know what, these guys at the time, you know, you just paid them some money and, and told them to do what you wanted to do. Yes. But to have that creative side, they were lacking, you know, and that's really when I sort of realized actually there's a, there's a gap here in the market. You know, this, that sort of scientific understanding was in the more traditional pharma, et cetera. Uh, the doing was there. So, yes, there was a way to do things cheaper in China and India. Um, 
but was there a way to do it better? And I think the jury was out in, in, in my mind then. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a bit. So the writing one was on the wall in 2010. We're all kind of marched into a tent on site. I think it's about 1,200 of us, you know, told that the site was closing down. Right. Um, you know, it's obviously quite upsetting, you know, quite a lot of people in tears, as you might imagine. Um, luckily, AstraZeneca were very good. They gave us a lot of time to think about this. So we had a good year until the site closed, which was which was great. And they were very supportive, to be honest. Uh, and there were options, there were options to stay with AstraZeneca at a different site as well, uh, which, I, which I had as a backup plan, if you, if you will. But I started to think, you know, even if I go to another site, there's a risk that it's going to close down. Farmer is never going to be the same again. And it's clearly reducing size. And at the time, I got quite a young family. We'd just taken on a bigger mortgage. And it may sound a bit corny, but I thought, you know, I want, the de- I want my own destiny in my own hands, actually. Yes. I, I thought there was a big risk that if I moved to a different AstraZeneca site or a different other farmer site, you know, a year later or something like that, that's how I might have closed as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was really the spark, really. And then I started to investigate then, well, what does, it, what does it mean to set up a CRO? Because I knew there was a gap in the market, you see. I knew there was a changing of the guard that actually the new drugs were coming from biotech now, not pharma. Right. You know, and the pharma guys, you know, you know might, might slate me for that. But, you know, innovation isn't happening there. In my, in my opinion, it, 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 it dropped off. It was. It was happening there. And when they did everything in-house. But truthfully, the innovation is, is, is not there. And it is in the biotechs, which are lean and mean. You know, 78% of all drugs in, in, in development and clinical development now originate from biotech in the world, you know. Wow. I didn't realize um, it was that high. So it's, it's, it's very high. And, and yet, the biotechs are the companies that are smaller, they're lean and mean. They don't have these DMPK experts. So I thought there's a gap here, you know. Yes. And I guess that was the spark and the inspiration to, to start, you know, my own CRO, really. Yeah, it makes sense. And I I suppose it's a really interesting place to start from in that you, because, you know, I think when you go on business courses and when you learn about business, you're always taught to sort of think like a customer, right? And put yourself in the customer's shoes and um, try and try and, and I was on one recently where they were really pushing the phrase, fall in love with your customers, not your product. But you started essentially in that role as a customer going and looking for a solution um so that's quite a, a useful place to start from i would imagine yeah it was i mean i mean all through my career you know i mean i'm, I'm chatting a lot today you know I do, I do i do talk you know i'm happy to happy to chat <laughs> uh but people may not realize i listen intently you know right. and, and the first important thing is to listen to your customers or potential customers i mean really listen let them talk and 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 let them tell you what they think they need yes now, most of the time that is what they need but there are other times when I listen and I think, actually, guys, um, you don't need this at all. You need mm-hmm. this. And actually, you, you know, you might be barking up the wrong tree here. So you've got to, you've got to subtly <laughs> help them and guide them and, 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 and help them realize that actually they don't need this. They need something else. Yes. But that's the important bit to me is really listen to what your customers need. And then sit there and listen, listen all about. And it's, it's all about the science, just to be very clear. I mean, I can come on to this later, but it all starts with the science. And that was the point for me for Zenergesis. It was about the best quality science. If you do that right, you've got the right people. Everything else just follows, to be honest. Yes. And that's what happened with us, you know. Yeah, of course. 
it's that it's that sort of now famous quote about customers, isn't it? That uh, if Henry Ford had asked his customers what they wanted, they would have told him faster horses. Was, <laughs> was <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so yeah, sometimes there's that bit of insight below, below yeah. the listening. So, but there's, I suppose there's a there's a there's a difference between spotting a gap. And yeah. starting a business and you said that you went and looked into what starting a business actually entailed and and what that would look like um was there a point at which you you decided yes i'm gonna do this uh you know what was the sort of what was the watershed moment for you do you think to be honest the the, the day after it was announced that the site was going to be closed in 2010 at astrazeneca I decided, and I even went around the lab the next day because I thought, well, what are they going to do with all this kit? You know, they're not going to keep it all. And I thought, well, what would I like in the new company? So very quickly, actually. Um, and I was determined to make it a success, you know, so this is from day one. Now, what I want to say, and again, hopefully this will come out later on, you know, it's unbelievably daunting to think about starting a company, mm-hmm. you know, unbelievably. And if you think about it as a whole, you probably wouldn't start. Um, you know, you've got to raise some funds. Who do you talk to? Where do you raise those funds from? You've got to get some staff. You've got to get some labs. You've got to get equipment. You know, there's all the legal side, there's all the accountants in the P&L, the balance sheet, everything, you know. Um, I say the legals to underpin everything. You know, I didn't know any of that when I started. But but again, if you if you take things piecemeal and understand what you need, there is a ton of free advice in the UK, I've got to say, and it's just fantastic if you know where to look and ask questions and and, and knock on doors, you know, and that's that's kind of what I did really to to start. The first thing is of course you've got to write a business plan, you know, and that's um and that's that's really important. And I and I did that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there was a there was a clear kind of event that that made you decide, okay, let's go and do this. Which it's good that you had that idea there already. I suppose it made that an easy transition or an easier transition for you. But as you've touched on, there's a lot to think about. So, going back to, I guess day one. I appreciate day one never is day one, right? It's always. <laughs> It's always day minus 200 that you actually started doing. That's this. right. Day, day one was the 1st of November 2011 in the lab. That was the first yeah. official day. But you're absolutely right. right. Yeah, the, yeah, the day one was a year ago in 2010. Yeah. yeah. So so tell us about those early memories, though, and I guess what your what what you remember about those early days and maybe the things that surprised you or the things that, that kind of stick in your mind about those those origins of the company yeah i mean to be honest just just happy memories actually i mean it's perhaps easy to say that because it was successful but you know very happy memories i mean when when you're in a big farmer organization or, or any big organization to be fair mm-hmm. it's great you know it's comfortable you get paid well you know pension and you know at the time we had a you know had a, a final salary scheme etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah uh, but you are in an artificial bubble, actually, and you don't you don't realise it at the time. To be honest, it's all it's all Christian Christian nice, but it's not the real world, you know. And when you pop when you pop that balloon, and you actually get out there, yeah, that's when you realise it's the real world. Um, I mean, there's so many good memories. I mean, I, I think one of them actually. I mean, we started. I say we started the lab in the first of November. Um, we'd actually bought some secondhand lab equipment, so. Uh, there's a company called Dovebid, which is a sort of industry eBay type thing. 
Uh, and obviously with the farmer sites closing, I thought, right, there's some great opportunity yeah, yeah. to buy some kit. Um, so we bought a load of kit. Um, again, the guy who started with me, uh, Manfred, who's, who's the CSO, he actually drove down to Pfizer with a, with a mate in a van and, and bought some freezers and centrifuges and all sorts, you know, that, that, that I'd paid for. And it sat in my garage for, you know, three or four months before we, before we had the lab, you know, we bought, we bought pipettes from eBay and, you know, all, all that good stuff. Um, you know, I was while I was still at AstraZeneca, I was still in the conference circle, um, and I made it clear that what I was doing. So again, trying to drum up <laughs> customers, yeah. customers, you know, in those early days. Um, the thing I think I'm really proud of, you know, we started in the lab in November, and we actually had our first piece of work in November, actually. Oh wow! Okay. Um, wet work in the lab, you know, um, and we never had a month where we didn't have work actually right. from, from day one. Uh, so that was that was good. The other thing we did, which was which which you know stands out for me. I mean, the staff was so important. You know, I was lucky again. Handpicked two two people to to start with me. A lady called Dawn, who was the who was the first um, paid employee, and she was just wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and Manfred. So it was just the three of us for a start. But we the big expense, as anybody would know in DPK, are things called mass spectrometers. You know, and they're you know quarter of a million a pop. You know. Yeah. Plus, actually, and they even were then. Clearly, I couldn't afford to buy one of those. But what I did do, you know, we were really lucky that, um, you know, again, I just got to know a lot of people. In the pharmacy department, there was a guy there, he's retired now, Dave Barrett. And he actually had a, a suite of mass spectrometers that he rented time on, actually. Okay. You could just come along and, and, and borrow some time. So so Manfred and myself, or Manfred would do the experiments in the lab. We'd drive to the university with the samples, we'd prep the samples, and, and I'd actually run the mass spectrometer because I, I could do that. Um, you know, get the data off there, pay-as-you-go service. Uh, we'd put the data on a memory stick and come back and, and process the data and, and, and get the data back to clients, you know. So yeah. things like that were just were just great, you know. I just just loved it. And that very first, I said, I didn't get paid for quite a while, and, and, and nor did Manfred, but, you know, when I could pay that first member of staff door right. you know, in the very first month, you know, I knew where every penny had, had come from. Yeah, of course. You know, you know, you can't hide when there's one people, one person, three people, whatever. And I mean, I, I never wanted to anyway. But everybody did so much. We did everything ourselves. So yeah. it was the most rewarding paycheck. And when I got for my first paycheck, you know, nine months, ten months down the line, that was the most rewarding paycheck I I ever had. It was mm-hmm. Such a buzz from that because we knew we earned every penny of that. Yeah. And you didn't get that in pharma. No. To be honest, if you think about what you achieved at pharma, you know, what did you do? What did you do? You know, ask anybody, what did you do of value to AstraZeneca in that day at work? Real value. You know, challenge yourself. What did you do that day? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some days you'll do something of value, but of course. most of the time you won't, in all honesty. You know, it's a different, yeah, it's a different feeling, isn't it? That you've generated that from nothing. You know, you've. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and you've. It's not that someone has paid you for it because you're an employee, as you say. It's that you've created something that's valuable to someone, valuable enough that they've paid you money for it. Yeah. You can not only run the company, but you can start paying you. So that is a different, uh, different perspective on earning that money, as you, as you say. It is, and everybody's different. You know, it, just, it yeah. wouldn't suit everybody, but, you know, it was, it was just so rewarding uh, for me, you know, because we yeah. knew we put the effort in, and, and, and I say every penny of that we knew we, we deserved, you know. Absolutely. So just give us briefly then the narrative of Xenogesis and, and the sort of path that you went on, and then I'd, I'd like to dive into some of it in a bit more detail. Yeah, of course, yeah. So 
Um, so yeah, so the name, by the way, I'll just start with the yes. name, shall I? So because that really gives you an idea about the, the company. So I, I, I came came up with that. So the Xeno bit is in a xenobiotic, you know, a foreign body, a drug, basically. So that's the Xeno bit. And the Gesis, there's a word called exegesis. And it means critical interpretation of a text, actually. I, th- I think it's actually a biblical term, but that, that, that's by the by. Obviously, I wanted to come up with something that was new. So actually, the name does mean something. Again, you wouldn't know this if you, unless, you, <laughs> unless you were me necessarily. But, you know, so it, it means a critical interpretation of a xenobiotic. That's what the name means, actually. Um, and that's what it was all about. So we're a lab-based business. You know, we were offering multiple DMPK assays that people would run. I mean, there's lots of them. You know, we started somewhere and, and including FISCHEM properties as well. Mm-hmm. FISCHEM assays, log D, solubility and, and protein binding and, and things like that. And that's what the ethos of the company was built on. We'll generate data for you, um, but we'll help you decide what data you need, actually. Um, so we're not going to just suggest you screen loads of compounds in loads of assays and waste loads of money. Yes. We'll, we'll help you decide which assays you need to run for your project. And it, it absolutely starts with the chemistry. It starts with the chemical starting point, the physical chemical properties and structure of that molecule that defines the screening strategy for any DMPK project. So, so it was always about that. It was always that sort of consultative approach. Mm-hmm. And also optimizing our assays as well. So I'm really proud of that, that we optimized quite a few of our assays, something as simple as an hepatocyte intrinsic clearance assay. We optimized that and did a better job than most of our competitors in that assay. And, 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 you know, making sure the assay was robust in the first place was was a big part of that. Mm. No, I can see that. Um, and then, so um, so you started with the the three of you from early on, um, yeah. and got some work very quickly, which is which is always good. I think, particularly in the CRO, right? The more time, the more uptime you have, the better. Um, tell us a bit about, and I appreciate I'm asking you to condense several years of work at this point. Tell us a bit about where it went from there, and and the the sort of eventual uh, success that you had with it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we were, I, I was doing the BD as well, just to, just to pull yeah. upon that. So I, I did, you know, I was the same MD for a start, you know, called it the CEO eventually. Um, but I did the, the business development actually for, for, for many years. Um, I mean, we all did in a way, but you know, I, I kind of looked after that side um, and I enjoyed that as well. And then obviously did the science as well. So I, I kind of pulled the work in, if you, if you will, it was international work, you know, I was really proud. We got, business from all everywhere actually you know so so uk europe um you know israel australia the us uh bulgaria even you know it was it, it was great and obviously the scandics as well so i really enjoyed that side and, and just to say we, we got some initial investment which wasn't wasn't much money you know it's again you know it was it was less than a hundred thousand pounds mm-hmm. significantly less than a hundred thousand pounds in hard cash but we never went out and raised more money Right. Okay. Um, so we had BioCity, I haven't mentioned those. So they invested themselves. They were on the board. They were the first investors in and absolutely delighted they were on board. A guy called Glenn Crocker, who was the CEO of BioCity at the time, and he was on my board. Absolutely fantastic man. Um, still still involved with him uh, these days. Um, so they, those guys came in, but it was pure um, organic investment. Right. Yeah. So. You know, we were profitable every year, you know, and, and we just reinvested those profits again in more staff, more equipment. You know, we moved labs, you know, we had a big, big investment and more than doubled our lab space in the discovery, new discovery building in, in Biocity. 
And so that was the journey and that was the choice I chose rather than just to raise more and more cash and, and maybe grow it quicker, but then lose control, uh, you know, dilute significantly, have different people on board. This was the path I chose. You know, I, I ended up being, you know, staying the dominant shareholder all, all the way through. Um, and that was good. You know, that was good. And, you know, we built it to sort of 36 people in the end, nearly, nearly 4 million turnover. And we had a successful sale to Signature Discovery in, in September 2020. Uh, we knew the Signature guys really well, actually. Uh, many of their staff, again, they were opportunistic and uh, took, a, you know, a whole load of AstraZeneca staff. You know, they built a, a pharmacology department out of that, mm-hmm. took a load of chemists. So we knew them. We shared clients. You know, it was a, it was a very natural a natural fit for us. And, and we shared multiple clients uh, along the years as well. Often we'd do the DMPK and, and clients would, you know, look, look yeah. to do the, the chemistry and the pharmacology at Signature, for example. Yeah, I see. And so there's a few things I want to I want to dive into about that. So the, the point around organic growth. Um, now, you know, I think some of the people listening to this, obviously, if you're if you're developing a therapeutic, it's very hard to grow organically, right? And, and oh yeah, that's a money that's a money burn model. We yeah, were a money exactly. create model, yeah. yeah. And so there are situations where doing that isn't possible. But absolutely, but I, I think, and I know we talked about this briefly last time we spoke, Richard. I do think that people overlook that as an option. Um, and there's this sort of trend, and not just in biotech. This is in general, even in consumer products and all sorts of things, right? There's this trend to get an investment, grow very quickly, not necessarily worry about profit and things like that, but yeah. just grow the business. And I think, you know, it's, it almost makes, and I'm, I don't mean this as a criticism at all, this, this, cause I agree with you. I think people almost think of the sort of organic profit driven model as a little bit old fashioned, but yeah. actually there's so much power in it and there's so much value in it and you can retain control and you, you know, you can do something that aligns with, what you originally started the business for and the values you created. And I, I just was interested to, to sort of talk to you about why you made that decision to do it that way and, and what you think the benefits are. Yeah, 100%, 100% those things, Tom. And again, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a businessman as well. And, mm. you know, I already knew about the CRO market way back in 2008 and knew what those forecasts were, the CAGRs, still the same, you know. You know, as I say to anybody, you know, who somebody tell me of a CRO that's gone bust, you know, yeah. in general, it's very, very low. All they do is grow, increase profits and, and sell, you know, and, uh, and really good returns, really good multiples that have just increased over the years. So it's a no brainer, actually, you know, the, the, you know, the biotechs are actually high risk, of course, very high risk, yeah. but potentially extremely high reward. You know, I chose the lower risk, but guaranteed reward, reward route. And, there's something nice about building, I say your own money. I mean, the company here, just to be very clear, the company's own money, um, rather than taking somebody else's cash and not being successful and just burn it and maybe wasteful. That didn't appeal to me. You know, I wanted to create our own value and also share it amongst the employees. You know, I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I had an enterprise management incentive scheme back in 2015 and the staff that were there then all, um, all benefited, benefited from that, from, from sale, you know, and that was really important to me personally. Um, So, yeah, so there's, you know, that, that appealed to me. I mean, obviously everybody's different, but I, I much preferred that route. And it was a no-brainer from a risk perspective to me as well. It was, it was low risk, but guaranteed reward, you know? Yeah. And, and were, you, were you tempted at any point to break away from that? Because I, I think it is, um, 
can be a more it can seem a more challenging route right to generate your own revenue and profit and things like that especially in the face of there's people out there offering money to lots of companies yeah and i know you know yeah. i get letters through the post all the time going such and such is looking to loan money to businesses and yeah, all this. exactly you, know, you get approached by all about all this stuff all the time right was there ever a point when you attempted to change your mind on that yeah, it's an interesting one. I, mean, I still do now, you know. I mean, if I did something else, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd create a biotech, I think, that somebody could, right. to be honest, I think I could do a pretty good job, you know. I, I know what to do. I know what not what to do. And I, and I know how much you can do with so little money. I know what the killer experiments are, you know, in terms of the target validation, in terms of the PKPD, in terms of the chemistry, in terms of the tops and the safety margin. You know, I think I could do a pretty damn good job at that. Um, but you know, I do enjoy being an independent consultant and seeing multiple projects and, and, and multiple people at the same time. So, so yeah, I've, I've thought about it and, and, and I guess I still think about it now, actually. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. And, and I think in terms of the, the other thing I was interested in is in terms of the success of Xenogesis and, and, you know, I think anyone would class a, a 10 year run and then a sale to a, to a larger company as a success in entrepreneurial terms. Um, you mentioned the science being really core and the quality of the science being really core. Um, so I imagine this is one of the answers to this question, but what are the things that you think were crucial to making the company a success? The, the thing, again, I've not talked about, but it's, it's obvious to me is the people. Right. You know, I had the best team, you know, I mean, the best team. That, that's why it was successful, to be very clear, you know. I mean, I was very lucky that I was able to handpick um, you know, in the early days, um, some key staff from, uh, from, from AstraZeneca, you know, that I knew and had worked with for many years, you know, so that was really important to me. And I, and I knew who not, to, who not to go for and, and who to go for. And I was lucky that I could track uh, most of the ones that, that I really wanted and some others, which, you know, I couldn't afford or at the time, or, or it, um, you know, it just circumstances didn't work for their families or, or whatever. Um, and then obviously I got um, managed. I wanted to expand that that set. Then, so again, we got other people along. You know, uh, Graham, who became my CSO. You know, he had a, a very different background, um, and that was important. So that diversity of people, but the staff were just awesome. You know, um, and such a such a unique team. You know, that that felt like a a working team. You know, mm-hmm. we all help one another. Obviously, you need hierarchy in there. You need some kind of you know structure. But I ran it as non-hierarchical as I could actually, yes. and that was really important to me. And I, you know, I'm I'm proud that in nine years we only ever lost one person, and that was to do a PhD. She went off and, and, and did a PhD, which was which right. was fantastic for her. You know, um, actually in, in lockdown she couldn't go there, and she came back with us for a bit. You know, so. Right. Uh, so I'm really proud of that. You know, that was that was important to me as well. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but yeah, the people, the people 100% make it, you know, you've got to have the right team and, and a team that gels and that helps one another. And one of the members of staff, Jim, he once said, do you know what, Rich? He said, there's, there's nothing we can't do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right there, mate. You know, and uh, and that's a, that's a real nice feeling, you know, yeah. as a team. We just got so much experience collectively and, and we're training youngsters as well. And that was a big thing I was very proud of as well and, and bring those guys on board, you know. No, absolutely. Um, and thinking about your sort of um, development as a leader and as a, a managing director, CEO, someone, because you came into that role 
really as a scientist, right? I know you'd had some management experience and you'd probably seen some of the business stuff at AstraZeneca because it's such a big company, right? Um, but but I always think there's no real, there's no sort of set training program to be a CEO or to, to lead a company. You kind of have to feel your way with it and everyone has a slightly different approach to it. But in terms of your skill set, your capability, your learning and development, what do you think were the key things that you had to work on and develop uh, to be successful in that role? Obviously, I did have management responsibility at AstraZeneca for for, for 14 years. Uh, So, you know, group leader, team leader there. So obviously, I did have that experience, went on that training there as well. But, you know, it's different being a a CEO of a company. So I guess just just learn, I suppose, learned on the job. The main important thing, again, is to listen. Yeah. And again, the thing I work with is, you know, I'm, I'm generally a friendly person, as anybody would say who knows me. And that's my approach. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've obviously had multiple bosses over the years. And there's people that like you to know that, you know, they're your boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> you know, that's not my style of working. You know, we're in this together, actually. So mine is a very open, very listening, very transparent, very trusting, actually. That's a big mm-hmm. thing that, that, that I, I found over the years. My instant response with people, whether they're customers or staff, is to give trust. Right. And when you give trust, you get trust back, you know. So I'm not I'm not deliberately doing that. That's just that's just what I do. Obviously, there's a, there's a, you know a few few encounters on the way where where, where you know you might find that they're not so trustworthy, but no, of it's very rare. Yeah. So that that sort of open listening, we're in this together. I'm not always right, you know. That worked for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoyed that. But obviously, there's times when you know you need to be the boss and you need to make decisions and you need to make tough decisions and uncomfortable position uh you know decisions as well so so you're not going to be afraid of doing that you're not going to be afraid of of tackling awkward situations or awkward conversations and that can be with with customers as well actually so i guess learning on the job is just experience and you know i you know you know i've I've interacted with a lot of people in the past and i look at their traits and you know if there's things I, i appreciate in their personality then you can you can always learn you know again jim one of the great characters at, at Zenergesis, he always said every day's a school day and, and i always still now you know go with that i try and learn something new every day you know and to try and you know better oneself i guess yeah and it was it sounds like though it was the the people interactions the people skills whether that was the business development side of it or leading the team or what have you that that was really the sort of critical part of your role as you saw it and, and being able to to make that effective. I think so, yeah. I mean again, you know, you know, people ask, you know, I think of, of all the of all the characteristics that I have, I think being able to talk with anybody yeah. is an is easy for me. You know, so you know, if I'm down down the pub speaking with a load of mates, you know, that's that's just as easy to me as it is to speak with uh you know, uh, you know, a CEO or a CSO or, or whoever, actually. Yeah. I, I'm comfortable in all those different environments because I am all those people, if that makes sense. Um, I, don't, I don't have to pretend, I suppose. It's, it, I find that, and again, I think that's, I say lucky, that's lucky that's a trait that I have, whereas, you know, some people are just sometimes, you know, in, in this space, there can be real big time nerdy scientist, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I can be a nerdy scientist as well, you know, cause, yeah. cause actually I am, <laughs> there's a part of me that is, you know, 
there's a big part of me that's not that as well, you know. So, no. so I, I guess that's one one trait and one skill that that I've realised over the years that I just I just naturally have, and, and I find it comfortable speaking to everybody in you know walks of life actually, and I enjoy it. I enjoy yeah, it absolutely. I think as soon as you get into any sort of business role, right, it's about interaction with people, and and that is what whether that's the people you work with or, or external people, that's what's going to make it successful or not. And I, yeah, definitely. I remember reading this book. I forget who it was by. I forget the guy's name, but he um, he started a sports agency years and years ago before there were really sports agencies. So he had, I think his first client was Gary Player. Oh, right. Yeah. It so happened that Gary Player was like a friend of his friends. Yeah. Um, and that's, and he was up and coming at the time. And that's why he managed to sign him up. Um, but he wrote a book called uh, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School. Hmm. Um, and it was all about all of this. It was all about the fact that business is really just a series of interactions between people and you have to get really good at those interactions. Definitely. But, yeah. You know, the, the Harvard Business School stuff is really useful. And the theory yeah. is really helpful and the models are helpful, but without the the personal interaction, it doesn't, nothing happened. hundred percent. You know. It was all about that. And again, I made, a, I made a point, you know, every day I would speak with all members of staff if I could, you know, every single day, you know, and it might be just small chat, you know, it might be about the work, it might be about something else, but it's really important, you know, to have those, uh, just to have those, 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 those genuine interactions. I mean, again, we were, you know, deadly serious about the business, you know, it, it, it was successful, but, you know, again, anybody that knows me, I like to have a laugh and, you know, and, and, and every day has to be fun. You know, you have to, yeah. it has to be fun at work, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I, I made sure it was for, for me and hopefully, hopefully for the others as well, you know? <laughs> no, that's important. So if there was someone, Richard, I guess there's a couple of aspects that ask this question from, but um, if there was someone either who was, on the brink of starting a company or maybe has just started one um, or someone getting into their scientific career at the beginning, you know, maybe they've just finished their PhD, they're stepping into industry. What are the sort of one or two pieces of advice that you would share? And it might be stuff you've already talked about, but what are the one or two things that maybe you wish someone had told you back then or, or you wish that you knew when you were starting? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question, Tom, first of all. So <laughs> yeah, that is a great question. So, I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I do, I do lecture. I've done quite a lot of lectures for obviously for free for, for various students at different, mm -hmm. different stages of their courses, MBAs or MSCs or whatever. So I've been to multiple universities doing this. And the one piece of advice I, I give is, you know, don't think just because you're doing a biology degree or a chemistry degree or whatever, this is your path forever. You know, right. those skills are transferable. So that's the most important thing uh, I would say, you know, I mean, I wasn't an entrepreneur until I was 42, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody had told me that when I was 30, I'd have, I'd have probably just laughed, you know, uh, but actually, you know, in hindsight, I realized I was always, I was always an entrepreneur, but so I think that's the first thing. And also not to be afraid and, and let confidence build, you know, I mean, you know, I might, I might sound confident today, but I wasn't when I was 20 years old or, mm. or, 25 even you know i remember giving my first talk when i was doing my phd in 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 the us you know and i remember putting the microphone on my shirt and thinking crikey people will be able to hear my heart beating here you know <laughs> so nervous you know but that confidence comes with, with with time and with age as well so that's the other thing without trying to sound condescending but you know so you know don't think you're on a, a fixed journey path you yeah. know i mean Crikey, you know, I, I wasn't. But the skills you learn, you know, I mean, again, I use chemistry every single day still now, you know, but, but you know, I'm not an active chemist, but I use chemistry every day. Yeah. 
So, you know, those skills are transferable, you know, and you can change direction, no question at all. And, and actually, I've completely changed direction, you know. You know, I've never done an MBA, you know, I've never even watched The Apprentice, you know, yeah. or, or Dragon's Den, I've never even watched them, you know. So, you know, you, you don't need to have an MBA to, no. to, to, to be an entrepreneur, you know. No, absolutely. So that's the advice I give. Yeah, no, it's really helpful. And I think that's right. I think it's... Uh... Like you say, that sometimes stops people, I think. I think they think, oh, I'll, I'll do this business once I've done this course or once I've like got yeah. this application or whatever. And it just, you know, like I say, it can be useful, but it's, as you say, it's not a requirement. Yeah, it's kind of either in your, you're not, or it's not. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. You know, if I'd have done an MBA at some point in my career, I'm sure that would have helped me, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would, actually. You know, was, you know I, was, I was learning on the fly. Um, but yeah, it's not 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 essential. No, and I guess when you learn through the job, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure you also spent time reading stuff and talking to people and all that kind of thing, and and you know, you you do that too, right? But it gives you an opportunity to pick the things that are most relevant and apply them straight away, right? So you can try stuff out and you can yeah yeah exactly that yeah yeah fabulous. Well, Rich. Great to talk to you about this. Thank you so much for sharing a bit about your journey and, and your career so far. Um, and good luck in, in this next phase and, and with what's to come. Thanks very much. You know, thanks for, thanks for being a great interview. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it's, it's, you know, you don't often sit back and, and, and reminisce and, and think about the successes. I, I tend to look forward, you know, so it's nice to be, have an opportunity to be able to do that. So thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks very much for listening. Careers in Discovery is sponsored by Singular, helping you to build a brilliant biotech company. Biotech leaders spend far too much time, money and energy on hiring and people issues. Head to www.singular-biotech.com to learn how you can recruit and engage your team more effectively so you can focus on developing medicines, treating patients and saving lives.